it got so crazy that the the representatives from Granger Insane. and from you know center and from Clay Township went in down to Indy. You know, they were state Nuts. reps, and they got the state to change the state law for annexations for only St. Joe County. Nuts for only St. Joe County. They passed one law for only <laughs> it, it, like it was only counties of this type of population. That was us. It was literally an amendment was added that made the bill applicable to counties in Indiana's only counties in Indiana with a population between 200 and 300,000. And St. Joe County was the only county. You heard that there. In South Bend Mayor Joe Kernan's battle in the early 90s to annex parts of St. Joe County into the city, the state legislature passed a law to basically make it impossible for South Bend to expand. More of that later, but first. Welcome to Round the Bend Now and Then, a podcast that shines a light on the South Bend and Mishawaka areas past and present. Through interviews with local business owners, leaders, and community members, our listeners and I learn together about all of the great people and great things going on in our community. As we also learn about South Bend and Mishawaka's history and how intertwined our past is with our present. Think way back to the pandemic era. I saw an article published on West SB's website titled, More People how South Bend lost 50,000 people in 50 years. Obviously, that piqued my interest. Within the first paragraph of the article, I was hooked. It read, Take a drive or walk through many South Bend neighborhoods, especially of the grand late 19th century mansions or the tightly packed narrow 1910s and 1920s houses built close to a long abandoned streetcar line. And an immediate fact will occur to you, South Bend used to be the home of many more people. Obviously, being born in 1978, I've always heard about the heyday of our city and how bustling it used to be with all of the shopping downtown and all of the industries, including Bendix, Studebaker, Oliver, Singer, and so forth. By the time I was a kid in the 80s, all I saw was the remnants of those industries. Huge, hulking, nasty, rusted-out-looking factories that looked like they could honestly withstand an atom bomb. To most people who live here, it's a given that our city used to have a lot more people. And I bet if you asked most people in our city their opinions of why we lost so many people, they'd say it was because of December 20th, 1963 the day Studebaker closed their automotive plant in South Bend. I myself probably would say the same thing because I knew our city's population started to shrink right around the same time Studebaker closed. I knew at that time, in the early 1960s, our city had over 130,000 people. And most of my lifetime, it's teetered around that 100,000 people mark. Definitely quite a decline. The rest of the article was so intriguing, providing details about our city and the real-life implications on neighborhoods when we lose population. Plus, I love learning about how our neighborhoods have evolved and changed over the years. Also, there were some cool old pictures on there, so this article was really scratching my itch. Then, at the end of the article, it absolutely had me sold. It said it was going to push back on the assumption that our city lost all of these people 
simply because Studebaker closed. It's said that that only provided a glimpse of the story. And as it turns out, this article was only an introduction to a series of seven articles that were to be released every two weeks that, quote, will explore the process of how South Bend, which had grown for nearly its entire 120-year existence up until 1960, began a half-century of decline. Each article will attempt to explore a part of this larger story and, with luck, provide information on how to move forward. By telling this story, I intend to properly put into context how we think about South Bend's past. Many of the common assumptions about what happened in South Bend in the second half of the 20th century ring true. Studebaker and other manufacturers floundered and fled the city, leading to a drastic decline. This isn't false, but it only tells a glimpse of the story by missing a lot of factors in the process. I could not wait to read the More People articles, and every two weeks a new article telling our city story was released, and I'm telling you, I have yet to read or see anything like it that paints such a clear picture of our city and St. Joe County in a manner that is understandable and cuts through so many misconceptions. The author provided so many examples that helps the reader understand the population shifts in our area. But by learning about these population shifts, we are also learning about the history of our area and how it was shaped over the decades. In this episode, I meet with the author of the articles, Joe Molnar. Joe is a lifelong South Bend resident. His family goes back four generations in our city. He's a married father of two young children. He works in development with the city, so he is very in tune to the ins and outs of South Bend. You'll hear us discuss a little background behind why he wrote the More People series and how it kind of organically took off. Then I ask him some questions based off of the articles. But please know, folks, this is only one little podcast episode. I highly encourage my listeners to first read the More People series on West SB and then listen to the corresponding podcast episodes, also titled More People, that are aligned to each article. You can find both the articles and the podcast links on westsb.com, or I also have the link in the show notes. The More People podcast is also on all of the popular podcast platforms. Again, I highly encourage you to dive in and read the articles and listen to the podcasts. Before we dive into the content of Joe's More People series, we get into how the idea started and then evolved. I have never, I've never read anything like that about our city. I've never seen anything that comprehensive that really just pulls in everything. Yeah, it it was a work of love, and it was a lot of work. Um, yeah, and but mostly because no one had done it. No, and I was, you know, I would play around with the data, and I would, you know, I'm nerdy, so I would just, yeah, it was COVID, so I didn't have much to do. Uh-huh. But it actually all started because, um, I Jacob Titus was doing a day in the life of South Bend okay. kind of podcast. I forget what he called it. And it was uh-huh. every day he would read like a short South Bend Tribune article. Yes, yes. And he did it for a couple of months during COVID just because uh-huh. he, he was bored. And I reached out to him like, have you ever seen how they covered the census mm-hmm. results back in the 60s? Like when, when all these bad numbers were coming yeah. out, what was the response? He's like, I haven't found anything, but he he generously gave me his newspapers.com uh-huh. you know, log. Yes. And he said, go crazy. 
And I thought it'd be like one little, like I'd write one little article about, you know, like, oh, like this is how they covered it. Yeah. But when I dug into it, I'm like, they didn't even cover it that much. Wow. It was, and that, it, that intrigued me. I'm like, what was going on mm -hmm. that they weren't like, there would be an article or two, but it wasn't that crazy. So right. that's how it started that it became this. And then I wrote like the first article, what's now article one. And Jake's like, you have to like make this a full series. And, and do this whole, do it right. I'm like, okay, okay. So the first article was you didn't, you didn't plan on writing so additional ones. I knew by the time it published, I would. Okay. But when I wrote it, I see 80, you know, 80% yes. through, I sent him my rough draft uh -huh. and he's like, you clearly have a lot more you want to say. Yes. You need to flesh this out. Like take all the time. You're like, I'll give you West SB for a few months, yeah. you know, to publish, uh -huh. go crazy. And and right. that, yeah, it, it's something I'm proud of. That, that oh, you should be. On and it's I mean, there forever, hopefully. So. And when it was when it was coming out, I think didn't didn't you release them like a week apart? Yeah, or, I think or... it was every other week we'd release. Dude. So we'd release an article, uh -huh. and then we would do a podcast, podcast. about it the next week, uh -huh. and then so every two weeks I was pumping these out for like yeah. four months, and it was it was probably the most like writery author thing I've ever done. Uh -huh. um, and it got national press, Strong Towns, which is a, a national, yes. they did a whole write-up on it. That's awesome. Um, published, and then a couple of big urbanist people. Yeah, and I think he got like 40,000 views or 30,000 views, something like that. Really? All of them combined. Correct. Yeah, that's, a, but, that's amazing. So for something like just so specific about South Bend, yeah. it, it clearly tapped into something I think people were interested in. Truly um, did. I was waiting, I mean, for... <laughs> Like it was during COVID too. Like yeah, I said, yeah. I was waiting. I'd read one and I said, oh, I can't wait for the yeah, next There's one. nothing else to do, right? Like, <laughs> Even if it wasn't during yeah, COVID, yeah, yeah. I would be all up on it. Next, I asked him how we got into the census. And that led us back to the discussion on how his More People series was organically created. How did you get into all the 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 census and the all of that Type yeah, of stuff. I don't even know how. I've always been an, a history nerd. Okay, I mean that was my major, so I I dual majored in college with uh, political science and American history. Uh huh. Um, so always, you know, I had a background in that. And then it was right around 2018, 2019. I just started, you know, curiously getting into it, yeah. especially like you know the Mayor Pete thing was at its uh -huh. full like arc. Um, and that, and then he ran for president. And so, <laughs> you know, I think it was actually him running for president that pushed it because I would see stuff online, both for and against Pete. That was just so stupid. And so wrong. Like that wasn't grounded in any actual fact. Uh -huh. So not that, you know, Pete didn't have issues. And, Correct. And, you know, but the, the narrative that was forming mm -hmm. about South Bend, I just hated. And I thought it was very... East Coast, West Coast, looking at South Bend yep. through whatever problems they had. They're like, oh, well, we have this gentrification problem in, you know, Boston. Yeah. So it must be happening here. Right. And it's right. like, well, not, we are not you. Correct. And we do not have your problems and you don't have our problems. So, you know, all that stuff just started getting me into it. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and I was bored. Uh-huh. Um, and I started, you know, working with Jacob Titus about it and, and, we started sending stuff back and forth. I'm like, oh, I found this stat. Oh, uh -huh. I found this. What do you think? And, you know, it just kind of snowballed into this, this God, big series. Isn't the way that stuff always happens? Where that, it's that's like always, you just you, snowballed. You can never plan it. No. <laughs> no, we can never plan that five years. Like, you can never say, okay, Jake, you and I are going to sit down and write this $40,000 or 40000 you know, word, art, yeah. Yeah, word series and do a big podcast, nine episodes exactly. or whatever. Like, we would never uh -uh. plan that. But it just kind of organically grew. When you read the articles, 
you'll find that what Joe writes about is not just numbers and data, it's our local history. And he articulates that local history in a manner that tells a story. And we talk about that next. Because it's not just census and numbers, man. It's our history. Yeah, I tried to tell a story. Yes. Uh, I mean, I will never say I'm a great author or or witty author, but I tried to tell it in a way that was engaging. Yes. And not just literally, here's a bunch of spreadsheets. Yes. You know, you figured it out. But I tried to say, what do these numbers mean? Because all that's what the census is to me so important. And and when you talk about demographics, it's Mm -hmm. so important because it's people. Yes. You know, you can get caught up in the numbers and the stats of it, but every single number is a person mm-hmm. and who has a whole family story who has a whole life you know once in Jesus and so when you see years and years of a city shrinking you know that's that's that means something that should be told that's a story that should be thought about and yeah. not just and I think a lot of people especially around here like I grew up in the 90s it was kind of just assumed like yeah well South Bend you know we were important and yep. now we're not important and like the consequences of that is we're smaller uh-huh. you know, than we used to be. And it was almost like a given. But I'm like, if you went and talked to someone from 1960 and told them, hey, the next five years, next five decades, this is what's going to happen. You're going to They would say you're they would, crazy. They'd be like, you're an idiot. We've been growing for yes. 120 years. Yes. Like, yes. yeah, maybe Studebaker's struggling, but we'll be fine. Like uh-huh. there would be no, there was no precedence for what was about to happen to the Rust Belt. That Anywhere is- in like human history, Anywhere in American history, there was what happened to this region was unprecedented. What happened in this region was unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Next, we get into the meat of the More People series, and I ask him about the first article, No Neighborhood in South Bend Avoided Decline. And as you'll hear, one of the three reasons for the decline that he writes about it isn't Studebaker, it isn't abandoned houses. Next, Joe explains how even the most thriving of neighborhoods, even across the country, still experience population loss. The first article, No Neighborhood in South Bend Avoided Declined, I mean, you laid out three basic reasons um, for the population decline that we faced. Um, And you did a great job, again, of pointing out the misconceptions. Um, When you, I guarantee if I went on the streets with a microphone and you asked (laughs) 10 people, you asked 100 people, why do you think we... Um, have lost population over the years, I bet 90% would say something about Studebaker. Yeah. Or industry. But that's not the case. There's, when I first read it, there's something as simple as shrinking household size. Yeah. Talk it's, to me about that. It's it's the most simple concept Basic and that simple. no one ever thinks of when no. they see population data. So essentially what household size is, it's just how many people live in a housing unit. Mm-hmm. So typically in South Bend, it's a house, you know, but also as an apartment, you know, any mm-hmm. housing unit. And I always use the example of my house yeah. is when my house was built, the family ended up having five people at their biggest. Yeah. They had three kids and, you know, two parents. And they lived there for 20 years uh-huh. and then the kids moved away, mm-hmm. but the parents didn't move away. Mm-hmm. So you had organic natural population decline, especially if you look at a neighborhood, na- if a neighborhood is all built up over 10 or 15 years, so all the houses are kind of on the same life path, yeah. all those kids leaving is going to happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see drops in a neighborhood's Cyclical. population right away. And yeah, you know, some houses people sell them after uh-huh. five years, but the whole neighborhood now, once you get like a hundred years down the line, like, you know, a lot of our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. it's all mixed together because yeah. the houses have all, you know, been sold at different times, I think. But that right. first generation, you see that decline. But then also, now I live in the house mm-hmm. and I only have two kids with my wife. That's so right there, my own house. house has suffered a 20% uh-huh. population decline. 
And that's happened everywhere in the city. Right, like right. Every it, It's happened. This is not a South Bend problem. Of course. Or even a problem, but this is just a, something that happens. Fact. Yeah, it's a fact of life that we have yeah. smaller families than we used to have. Yeah. Everywhere, right? I'm sure anyone listening, their parents' generation's probably bigger than theirs, and their right. grandparents' generation is certainly bigger than theirs when right. it comes to you know aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, yep. you know, siblings. Yep. And so when you look at that as a city... If you do not build enough new housing mm-hmm. to make up for that, you're gonna. If your housing population, if your housing, you know, stock is flat, yeah, not shrinking, yep. not growing, you're gonna lose population naturally. Naturally, it just happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just a matter of fact since this country's been founded. Yep, yep. And you mentioned the Sunny Mead um, cycles, and and uh, I grew up in Sunny Mead, and I've seen it firsthand. In when I was a kid. It was mo- my parents are baby boomers age, yeah. right? So when I was a kid, they were younger and mm-hmm. they had, I mean, there were, they were having kids and there were us kids all over the neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, like in packs of five, yeah. six, yeah. 10. But then as I got older and then I moved back to Sunny Mead, a lot of my friends' parents are now uh, retired. Yeah. And they're still living they're still here. Living there. They're still in- and that's household is that much smaller. Yeah. And that's, there's not a problem with Oh, that. no, 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 no. It's no. just, on paper, then, if you yes. see a population decline, yep. it doesn't necessarily mean the neighborhood's declining. Nope. It doesn't necessarily mean that the property values nope. or that the people's lives are declining, but it is a shift in you know exactly. what it looks like. Uh, I live in Sunny Mead too now, and yep. you know I, I think it's me and my wife are the only ones with kids like see with, on the block. And that street 35 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. was yeah. nothing but kids yeah. all day. Sunny Mead used to have, like I think, like a Household population basically for a house. Okay. Now it's down to like 2.2. See, 2.3. look at that. It's almost cut in half. Yeah. And that just, wow. so you walk down the street, you know, and there's no vacant lots. None. There's no vacant houses. All the lights are on at night. Yep. You know, these houses are lived in, but it's a neighborhood that suffered population. Now, what does that mean for your city, though? What does this mean for our city, though? Next, Joe shares exactly what can happen when we have the same geographical footprint but less kids. It's something that I have experienced firsthand, the closing of a school. So because we built a school system to, you know, to support a sunny mead type, mm-hmm. you know, all across the city, right. right? This, you know, where every family has two to five kids, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a situation where you have the same geographic footprint, but a lot yeah. less kids, mm-hmm. way less kids. Yeah. So what does that do for your school system? Because mm-hmm. the brick and mortar is there, right? We built all these schools right. for this population that now is just never going to come back. Yeah. And that's something, you know, obviously anyone this following day. the news to this, this last day. week. So it's, there are big consequences if you don't keep building new housing. Yeah. Like that, people always say, why do we have to grow? Why, why is, you know, population growth so important? And it's not that it's important in and of itself, right. but the consequences of decline are so negative. That you have to be prepared for those. Yes. (laughs) We're going through it now. (sighs) I've been the principal of a school that uh, closed. Uh, I had to lead a school community through that. And I can tell you, there is not one thing that is good about it. Nothing. I will reserve my opinions on the other reasons why urban public schools are losing students. But we'll save that for another day. Next, we continue discussing the first article, No Neighborhood in South Bend Avoided Decline, and we talk about a basic recipe for a neighborhood's collapse, smaller family size, and loss of houses.
when we think of population decline, I think most people think about the what you had noted as freefall neighborhood. Yeah. And I just want to read a quick quote from here, and it kind of sums it up. Neighborhoods such as these are like the candle being burned from two ends. Declining numbers of households and the households that remain are smaller. And it's just a recipe for, for neighborhood collapse. You had specifically mentioned, just as an example, the neighborhood uh, by the city cemetery mm-hmm. um, as a free-falling um, yeah. uh, neighborhood. So talk to me a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it really is candle burden. Literally. So you have the same thing that's happening in, you know, uh, what I will say a stable neighborhood, mm-hmm. like River Park, mm-hmm. where you're going to have less kids naturally because you're not naturally. building. You, you know, all the houses are built. There's mm-hmm. no more land for new houses. and But you have less kids each year. Right. So you're having that dynamic. And you're having less adults too, because a lot now there's a lot of single households mm-hmm. too. So you're having less, you know, income earners too sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you're having that, but then you're adding in a lot of the issues that the west side and the southeast side have experienced, where you've had, you know, large scale vacancy, large yeah. scale demolition of houses, yep. and so you're leading, you're up to a neighborhood where there used to be, you know, ten houses on this block. Now there's four houses on the block, and each house has less people in it. Mm. You are having this where, you know, you're having neighbors that have lost 60, 70 percent of their mm. population. And that's when you really get into the societal issues yeah. of yes. the city still has to pave that street. You're darn right. If there's four houses on it, if there's two or houses on 20, it, or, they yeah, have to. They have to pay that. They have to do, you know, yard waste pickup. Yep. They have to do tr- trash pickup. The car, mm-hmm. you know, they have to pl- provide police and fire protection for that same geographic area. Yeah. But you have way less taxpayers paying on it. Mm-hmm. You have way less kids going to schools from those neighborhoods. Yep. You know, you have all you built a whole neighborhood mm-hmm. that now has, a, you know, a third of the population. Free what fall. is, you know, nearby businesses that were around mm-hmm. because they had this large population now can't survive because, you know, a small local corner store, if a two thirds of the customers leave, it's going to close. Gone. So what are you, you know, that is that that the free fall neighborhood yep. is exactly what what you know the the worst case scenario and that's yep. usually what people understand when you exactly. talk about population decline but uh, what i was trying in that first article to say is that the reason south bend's numbers is so bad is it's not just a west side problem exactly it's not just a southeast problem it's a whole city problem yes um and we just did not grow enough to make up for the decline both on the west and southeast sides but then the the stable neighborhoods as well <sighs> So many ill effects of a freefall neighborhood, man. Next, we talk about how it was suburbanization and not Studebaker. And that goes into your second article uh, where you where you mentioned suburbanization. You yes. know, it wasn't uh, suburbanization, not Studebaker. Um, and then one of the later, later articles, you really focused on the annexation. But um, when you, you mentioned in the suburbanization, not Studebaker, that there's a few stages in our city and the, the stage you had noted from 1940 to 60, our population increased even. Yes. Um, and even though our population was growing, but families were still moving from the inner city neighborhoods, it's just that the city of South Bend was capturing yeah. all of these folks moving out to the suburbs. And when we think suburbs, we might think Granger, but at this time- It was Edison Park. Edison Park, Eastgate. Yeah. McKinley Terrace, Miami Hills, Keller Park, Keller Park, all of these, which were already in the city. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for basically for the entire city, entire history of the city, Uh people wanted to be in the city. Mm -hmm. Leading up to about 1950, 1960, when the shift of mindset happened after World War II, is 
being in the city meant you got water and sewer. It meant you mm -hmm. got a paved road. It meant, you know, it meant you got police and fire protection as mm -hmm. opposed to volunteer forces. You know, all these benefited things. So how is a city supposed to grow? Yeah. You know, oh, well, it's supposed to grow outwards and up, right? Mm -hmm. So if it grows out, well, as a city's population, as a region's population grows, you're supposed to annex more territory yeah. on that because everyone's in this together, right? And what we started seeing happening in the 50s and 60s is neighborhoods, you know, an area started fighting back. Yeah. And they said, you know, we don't want to be annexed. You know, it would be farmland that a developer would come and build a new subdivision, mm -hmm. but they would not annex into the city. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of reasons, mostly for tax reasons, right. but then also some school reasons, you know, a, a lot of reasons were built into that. Some racial, you know, yeah, uh, of course, red line and all yeah, that red stuff. Yeah. So they tried to, you know, get out of South Bend. And what that led to was eventually is a, the region kept growing. Mm -hmm. I always, you know, one of the stats that I remember Jacob Titus like didn't believe right. was that St. Joe County has more people today than it's ever had in its history. We have 40,000 more people in this county than we did at Studebaker's height. But anyone living in Sancho County understands it's all one economy. You're darn right. It right. Is. It's all we're all one, you know, regional mm -hmm. you know, apparatus. So it, if Studebaker's closing was so negative, and I'm not saying it was good by any means. No, you know, but, if, but... If, if Bendix has declined, if Studebaker Oliver's declined, if it was so bad, uh -huh. you know, yes, the relative to the nation, our county has grown poorly. Yeah. But it has still grown. Like mm -hmm. again, there are more people here today than there were at Studebaker's height. It's just they've chosen to live outside of the city right. limits. So when you have this situation where more and more people don't want to live and they actively fight mm -hmm. to stay out, mm -hmm. it leads to negative consequences, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why suburbanization, not Studebaker, because I always say this region could have, you know, South Bend could have survived Studebaker. Yeah. It could have survived all these things. If you imagine a different world where instead of all, you know, instead of the county and basically the city of mm -hmm. South Bend splintering into Granger and Mishawaka yeah. and all these other, you know, in the unincorporated Clay Township uh -huh. and all these other splinter groups, if it had just been one region yeah. and had one focus, you wouldn't have seen this type of, you know, decay mm -hmm. that happened in parts of South Bend. Yeah. It's uh, interesting to hear Joe write and talk about how Fort Wayne, Indiana, was able to thrive and grow while we've done the opposite. Yeah, Fort Wayne, I always say, is like the best example. Yes. Because it, it looked very much like South Bend in 1960. They had a slightly larger population. Okay. But for a lot of reasons, both political will and also the way that they just can't do well in septic like we could up here. Yeah, you noted that in the articles too. Our they, soil here was perfect. Yeah, it was, for, you know, and now we're leading into you know consequences of yeah, that. But of at the time, they're like, "Oh, this is amazing." You know, well, instead, we don't need the city anymore. Fort Wayne just annexed everything. Yeah. Yep. There is no Granger in Fort Wayne. No. There is no. You know, they don't even have a Mishawaka. They have a New Haven, which is a small town. It's uh -huh. very, very small. They have no other entity besides yep. them, so they can have regional planning. They can have all the revenue from one region actually going to the central, you know, city mm -hmm. that can distribute it. Right. We don't have that here. We have this splintered, balkanized region, and Fort Wayne has thrived. Mm -hmm. It's still growing quickly. It's now it's twice the size of us. You know, it's it's yeah. done. It has West crime levels. It's schools while having issues just like ours. Of course, don't have the same. They're not closing schools like yep. we are. So it's like all these positive, you know, down the line consequences could have happened if South Bend could have actually just grown, yeah. kept growing naturally, and annexed the areas around. It. Yep. He mentioned how Fort Wayne can't do well in septic 
and that was a factor in its ability to annex land and incorporate into Fort Wayne's boundaries. If you have soil that is conducive to a well and septic, that means your neighborhood does not need to be dependent upon the city for things like sewage and water, meaning they can operate independent of the city. Fort Wayne soil, on the other hand, couldn't handle wells and septic, so any new neighborhood built out had to be annexed into the city to be dependent upon the water and the sewers. Next, we talk about the worst decade in South Bend's history. Think housing crash. And then in that same article, you talked about the worst decade in South Bend history yeah. as far as the, the population decline and all yeah. that goes. And you, you laid out why that that's, this decade which was the 2000s, just wrecked havoc on us. More than just the previous 40 years where we did lose a good chunk of people, what, 25,000 people. Just give me an overview why that 2000s was yeah. just the worst. So one thing that, that, again, these things that I found out in mm -hmm. my research and stuff that I think is just not con not known yeah. is South Bend never shrank its households up until 2000. Yes, South Bend yes. always had more households than mm -hmm. it did the year okay. before, even through the Studebaker collapse, even when we were losing population because exactly we talked about household size decline. Yes. So and it was small growth. It was not this rapid. It was not enough to make up for the household size decline. Right. It was not enough to make up for some of those free fall neighborhoods. But we were still annexing small bits here on mm -hmm. the south side. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of the south side was annexed post 1960, some on the northwest. So we were still slowly growing. Now we were we used to be growing by thousands of households yeah. a decade. It shifted down to a couple hundred, mm -hmm. but we were still growing every single decade. The only decade in South Bend's entire history where we lost households was 2000, 2010. And it entirely had to do with the housing crash. Yep. Because it just literally pulled the rug from under some of these neighborhoods where uh -huh. if you had a if you had a neighborhood, you know, say I don't know, like Rum Village or even say near Kennedy Park. Yeah. Where, you know, it was struggling mm -hmm. and every year some houses were demoed, mm -hmm. but it was still substantially there in its, mm -hmm. you know, form, right? But all the houses are worth twenty to forty grand. If you have basically what the housing crash did, and you can't get into why the housing crash, happened, <laughs> of course, <it's> but <laughs> the housing crash basically cut prices nationwide. Uh huh. If you cut a house out in Granger from three hundred thousand to one hundred fifty thousand, that house is still worth it. Uh huh. It still makes sense to put a roof on a hundred fifty thousand yep. dollar house. It's still you know, and because it was their nest egg, it still made sense for those people to hold out for the value to come back Correct. and still maintain their property. It does not make sense to maintain nope. a twenty thousand dollar house. No, it, especially if you had a forty thousand dollar mortgage on it. Say you bought it in 05. Yeah, and then now you're turning around. You you just squeaked by. You were just on the the viability where mm -hmm. a bank would give you a mortgage for a forty thousand dollar house because it, it's just not worth their time to do anything less. Right. You get to that point, and then hell, hey, now your house is worth fifteen grand. Mm. I'm not going to put a roof on that. House. Nope. Unless I really love the house for sentimental reasons, or right. something. but no, no financial person would say, "Hey, put a new, you know, furnace in this house." They'll just let the house crumble mm -hmm. because there's no, you're never going to get your money back. Yeah. So this happened, you know, nationwide, and it really hit the rust belt. Mm -hmm. You know, it just yeah, it it did. pummeled us in ways that people to think about, like, oh, Vegas and Florida got hit by it, but they just took a ten year pause, and now they're right back. Correct. This ripped out the yes. lifeblood of a lot of these That's neighborhoods. That's a good point, man. Like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Vegas took a 10-year 
yes. you know, paws on its crazy on their you know, brand new subdivisions yeah, that they were building. Yeah, these out were there. yeah, exactly. Not, it wasn't the the fabric and the core yeah, of their city. Exactly. It was not yeah, you you see the pictures of like, oh, we only built two houses, then we went under. And it's like, oh boo hoo. Like yes. you shouldn't be building in a desert anyway, in my yeah. opinion. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. But like, yeah, this happened to our neighborhoods that were, you know, these neighborhoods have been there for 120 years. Yes. At these, you know, these are yes. neighborhoods that date to 1880. Yep. You know, so there's like Kennedy Park, for example, like mm-hmm. that's 1870 to 1900 when that neighborhood. And like it had been a neighborhood for 100 years. Uh-huh. And now, you know, it's still there. You know, we, we still want to provide services to those residents, but it would right. be in such a better position if the housing crash never happened the yeah. way it did. But so that's why I call it the worst decade in South yes. Mystery. Because it's the only decade we lost 3,000 households. It's insane. And now, a brief message from me to you, my listeners. Folks, I need your help in spreading the good word about Round the Bend now and then with your friends and family who you think would enjoy it. I obviously want to grow the show and increase our listeners, but I also want to be sure that we share the good things that we learn about the people that I interview and their businesses, their organizations, books, etc. To share, all you have to do is copy the show's website, paste it in a text, and hit send to a friend. Or just tell them to Google Round the Bend Now and Then, and it's right there. Tell them that we're on all of the popular podcast apps like Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and so forth. And while you're at it, tell them to download, like, or subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app that they're using. And if they're feeling especially squirrely, tell them to leave a review on why they love Round the Bend Now and Then. I thank you in advance for helping to spread the good word. And now, back to our episode. Next, you'll hear about something that I had no clue happened. And it turns out there was quite the community battle surrounding a large-scale annexation plan of Mayor Joe Kernan and his housing forum that included laws being made at the state capitol in Indianapolis specifically crafted to make it impossible for South Bend's boundaries to grow. Your fifth article, The Great Annexation War of South Bend Inner Suburbs, that like, um, that was, to me, that was great. I, I love seeing stuff like this because it's truly gave you a bird's eye view of kind of how um, cities have grown through varied annexations, annexations over the years. Um, and specifically though, I want to talk about Mayor Kernan. Yeah. When I was uh, when I was reading this, I had no clue about Mayor Joe Kernan. He created a mayor's housing forum mm-hmm. um, in what, like 1990? Yeah, 91. Something like there, yeah. that. And I was a kid. I was like 11 or 12, so yeah. I had no clue. But it was a pretty big deal. And what came of it, there was an annexation policy and a plan for the city of South Bend around that time. Mm-hmm. And when you started diving deep into research, you found that it was a, a heated debate. Oh, it was it was insane. Like Man. It, it covered like the news for like a year was this wow. annexation. So basically the annexation report came out and said, you know, you're on an unsustainable path. Yes. With your declining population. You're also an unsustainable path because the region keeps getting bigger and you keep getting smaller. Mm-hmm. So again, you're having more people come and use your roads, you're having more people, you know, more services for homeless, whatever you're gonna have to provide for a larger, you know, regional uh-huh. population, but your own resources are shrinking. What are you gonna do to capture this new growth that's happening? Well, the report had a lot of recommendations, but it basically boiled down to annex. You have to, you know, people that are on the edge of the city that don't pay city taxes need to be included. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, they use city services. They typically Mm -hmm. work in South Bend. Like, you have to use, you have to try to capture that, you know, um, 
wealth and and just so you can pay the bills right, right right like none of this is done you know some people get upset like oh this is done for power or something it's like yeah sure maybe there's some egotistical people out there but like you can look at a spreadsheet and if it shows declining <laughs> yes. population you're like, what are you going to do to turn that around yeah. um so the report which is a great part it's still online on the city's website because it's oh, like is a it? report the city paid for yeah okay. um and it basically says, you know, you need to annex, especially you have to annex the neighborhoods that are intrinsically linked within South Bay, uh-huh. you know, and Curran went out and tried to do it. And he yeah. had a little bit of success, especially there was a couple at the time they were called or islands of unannexed, unannexed land in the city limits. Like Notre Dame or? Is that no, no. Mean, it or? was just like random little properties and random oh, little neighborhoods okay. that I like see. held out when everything. Around, and so the state at the time allowed you basically to. If you're surrounded by city property, you need to be. Yeah. So those got cleaned up, but the big targets were, you know, a lot of Clay Township, a Mm -hmm. lot of German Township, some uncentered township on the south side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kernan went and tried to annex this stuff. Right. And at the time, there were laws that basically said you could, even if you didn't have the people's permission, if you could prove that these were essentially part of your city. That these were South Bend residents in all but name. Yep. And even name. They have South Bend addresses. Of course they do, <laughs> which is crazy. That's why come election time, you always get the people like, I have a South Bend address. Why can't I vote? And it's yeah. like, well, you're not actually in the city. Um, <laughs> That's just crazy. Uh, so he went and tried to do this. And the people fought so hard. And they had been fighting for decades. This would uh-huh. always spring up. But Kernan was the last gasp to try okay. to do it. And it, you know, it was from the 50s, 60s. That's why Clay Township exists in its current form. is because yeah. they fought that from the beginning very successfully. There's very little Clay Township in yeah. the city limits. And, you know, the article has all these quotes from people who write in from both yeah. sides on the Tribune, you know, letter to the editor yeah. stuff. But it got so crazy that the the representatives from Granger Insane. and from, you know, Center and from Clay Township went in down to Indy. You know, they were state Nuts. reps and they got the state to change the state law for annexations for only St. Joe County. Nuts for only St. Joe County. They passed one law for only <laughs> it, it, like it was only counties of this type of population. That was us. It was literally an amendment was added that made the bill applicable to counties in Indiana, only counties in Indiana with a population between 200 and 300,000. And St. Joe County was the only yeah, county at the time. We were the only, and like Insane. whenever a county would get into that bracket, they would uh-huh. change it again to just really specify St. Joe County. And and this affected Mishawaka too. Like the Mishawaka yeah. mayor hated this too. Yeah, like Buter, I, I think it was Buter at the time. Like he's uh-huh. in, he, I have quotes from him saying like how stupid this policy is because it made it impossible yes. to annex land. Mm-hmm. It didn't just make it difficult. It essentially impossible. said, unless you get a hundred percent of people to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. And like there is still technically is a way you can do it, but it's, it takes like three years. You have to have so many and like you can get sued over it. It's basically makes it impossible for a city That's to annex nuts. land. Golly. Unless it's fully voluntary. Uh-huh. You know, 100% of the residents, 100% of landowners yes. volunteer. Because right, we still, right. every day, or every year, we still have one or two random annexations. But it's usually one-off properties yeah. that, for whatever reason, want to be in the city. Imagine if every resident in a city roughly the size of LaPorte, Indiana, about 20,000 people, all hopped in their cars and drove into South Bend every weekday morning and then drove back in the evenings. That's how South Bend's net population increases every workday. You'll hear about that next and a few other wild stats about our city. That, and that there's the one article about jobs, too, as well, that I think a lot of misconceptions had is like if you said, you know, if you go to down the street and ask 100 people why we lost population, like, oh, Studebaker closed, oh, yep. all the jobs left. But that's not really the case. Like, nope, because your stat alone 
the commuter adjusted population or the the daytime population yeah. I think it in, it increased 23,000 people yeah. or something like that. Every day, you know, and again, this was pre-COVID, so of there course. might be some differences. But like Memorial is one of the biggest draws of that. Uh-huh. I'm like, you ain't doing that job remote. No. Like, nurses aren't remote, <laughs> you no. know. So like a lot of that, so yeah, every day, you know, 20,000 more people come into the city to work and then they leave every day. And that includes the South Bend people who might work elsewhere. Correct. Like that's a net gain of 20,000. Yeah. So it's actually more than 20,000 people. Because come some in of every- us leave. Yeah. You so, know, you know, of course. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who works at Mishwaka schools. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. fine. Um, but <laughs> there's also the the jobs in South Bend pay better than the jobs in Mishawaka and in the jobs in the county. Think. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have guessed that. Nope, like either. before I looked into this, like right. I would like, yeah, okay. Our, you know, the jobs in South Bend pay high. Like if everyone had to live where they work mm-hmm. and, you yes. know, and this, this is not American. This is not, you know, what we would have, like, not legal. I'm of just, course. you know, it's a thought experience. Yeah. If everyone had to live in the jurisdiction that they worked, South Bend would be the wealthiest area wealthiest portion of our county Uh by like a substantial margin and that's even with all of our current folks who yeah aren't as wealthy yeah aren't yeah poverty riddled yeah because we have a lot of low-paying jobs too yeah but it's we have a (laughs) ton of high-paying jobs in this this city that just the a very small amount of those people live that's wild man that's nuts many of you follow the at round the bend 574 twitter account It's kind of where the roots of this podcast started. And you'll know that I occasionally post pictures of neighborhoods around the city that I'm walking or jogging through. Obviously, the best way to capture the essence of a neighborhood is to live there. But we can only live in one place at a time. So the next best thing is to get out your car, walk a neighborhood, feel it, smell it, look the neighbors in the eye and ask them how they're doing. I've been going to different neighborhoods in our area for a good 20 years or so now because it helps me continue to feel a connection to different areas in my city. Next, we talk about just that and how even though some of our neighborhoods have been decimated with population and household losses, they are still neighborhoods with families, families hosting kids' birthday parties, Christmas mornings, and basketball games in the driveway. Um, and then the sixth article is the cost of South Bend's decline. But I love your 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 quote about your grandfather's former neighborhood on Napier. Mm-hmm. And um, Napier Street neighborhood is similar to a lot of our neighborhoods. While and you said, well, I well I see a vacant field and think of what once had been. That very same field is part of the current neighborhood where residents still live. I mean. Yeah. You know, we're thinking, oh, man, because I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I go out, I'll drive to a neighborhood and I'll walk it just mm-hmm. because you you cannot get a sense of the fabric of a neighborhood unless you like smell it. Yeah, feel get it. out of the car. Get out yeah. of the car, man. And so I think the same thing. I think, God, man, 60 years ago, this must have been unbelievable houses here. Mm-hmm. It's a, still a neighborhood to this day. This is not some thought experiment. No, yeah. people still live there. Yeah, that was and that was I wanted to really frame that, too, because I didn't want to be the guy who's just like pining for the good old days. I didn't even live like my dad didn't even really live these good old days. Like he lived through the decline. Like it was just as much as everybody else. Yeah. And so I was out at, you know, I I talk in the article, but I went and I photographed like where my, you know, grandfather and great grandfather lived. Uh And, you know, the house is long gone. But like. There were like kids walking around and yeah. there were, you know, kids playing basketball and there was yes. someone grilling like three, you know, uh-huh. vacant lots down at a house. So it's like 
this is still a neighborhood. There's still right. hundreds or thousands of people living in these, mm -hmm. in these neighborhoods. Like we should do what's best for those current population now. Yes. Not worry about bringing back what's gone. Yes. You know, what can we do to make their lives easier? What can we do to make their lives better, more economic? And like we do for every neighborhood, what mm -hmm. can we do to provide better economic opportunities so that people want to build new houses there? Yep. Um, and I, yeah, so I wanted to talk about that a, a little bit of, you know, it's one thing to get trapped in this mindset of decline, but there's a hundred thousand people living here. Damn right. Going to school every day, going to work every mm -hmm. day, you know, living their lives, having love, you know, people falling in love, falling out of love, having yes. disagreements, you know, there's still lives happening here, but so often South Bend and cities like it are just written off as the past mm -hmm. when it's like, well, it's not the past to my three-year-old. No, my four year old, like they're just no. this is their whole future is yes. here. You know, they're they're they care about what they're eating in the morning. You know, uh -huh. like they we still have we still have responsibilities to the city to make yep. sure the decline does not continue. And that and that, you know, that's just a perfect way to put it is when you were there and you're you're thinking of, you know, what it must have used to look like. And we yeah. have to stay out of that mind state. And that is spot on right there we still have the responsibility to those neighbors to ensure that they have the city services needed so that their kids can continue to shoot hoops in the driveway, continue to ride their bikes, or even go on an evening walk. Now, a sad part about South Bend's history and other cities across the country is the practice of redlining. Basically, it systematically kept neighborhoods Anglo-Saxon white. Deeds on houses would basically say, if you're black, you can't live here. Maps were created with different zones in the city detailing, this is a white neighborhood. This is an African-American neighborhood. Banks wouldn't loan to African-Americans in white neighborhoods. So best believe there is a racial component to all of this. In our next episode, you'll hear me meet with Gabrielle Robinson. She's the author of Better Homes of South Bend, which is a book that details the story behind a group of African-Americans who banded together to build brand new houses in a neighborhood that was labeled as white around the North Elmer Street area. They simply wanted a better neighborhood for their families. Next, Joe and I talked just a little bit about the redlining, and I just wanted to mention about the next episode to let you know that we'll get into the racist homeowning policies in our city next time. And a lot of that's racial. Oh, like a lot, of, or and not even racial, but also classist. Yes. Like, you know, white working Way class, classist, as yes. well as, you know, an African-American, you know, racial and yep. Hispanic racial bias against. Yep. But a lot of it's, you know, like, you know, oh, we don't want those poles over here. Yeah. Oh, it's. So, now that was what it was in the 20s and 30s mm -hmm. when this very first started happening was, you know, a, you know, redlining also negatively affected immigrant any groups. I mean, immigrant yeah. group. Yep. My house today in Sunnymead says I shouldn't live there because I come from an East European descent. <laughs> you know, as well as saying a Jew should right. not live there and an African American. That's what the deeds on Wickham and Colors, you know, yeah. who built Sunnymead's the houses covenants. say. Yeah. Now, granted, they're not valid anymore. No, they're But that's illegal. what this neighborhood yes. was built for was white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mm -hmm. managers of Studebaker. Yeah. God, that's just so crazy, man. Folks who know me know that I will stand on whatever platform available to not let the community only focus on the negative. I am a champion for our city and will take every opportunity to celebrate the good things that are going on. In Joe's last article, South Bend Survived, he writes about that. And next, we passionately talk about it as well.
dude, I love, man. Article 7, South Bend survived. There are still 100,000 people who live in our area. I mean, just yesterday, I ran in the Girls on the Run race yeah. over here at the park, and there were thousands of people, thousands of people there to support South Bend kids, yeah. South Bend young ladies specifically, mm -hmm. who go to schools in South Bend, yeah. who took part in this whole Girls on the Run program. That's just one example, but man, you go to a South Bend Cubs game, you go to the oh, East yeah. race, you go to the zoo, we're still alive. Yeah. We're yeah, this still is not, jumping. We're not living in a museum. No. And and I I tell people all the time, like, I want South Bend to get better. Of course. Of course, everyone. But, like, I love living here today. Mm -hmm. I loved living here yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, it is what you make of it. And I think right. this, this city still has so many great things it can offer somebody that mm -hmm. maybe other areas can't. You're darn right. right. Like, we've had a housing price increase. But it's still nothing like what you see anywhere else, like <laughs> no. in the country. We're not even to where they were five years Turn ago. Turn on right? house hunters, you'll learn that. Yeah, quick. like it's just you can buy a house in a neighborhood where you can walk down to the river and be on a thirty-mile river walk, and you can buy that house still for one hundred twenty grand. Yeah. you know, in Keller Park. Uh huh. Yeah. That's that's still, and you can own the home. Yes. You don't have to be a renter. Yep. 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 You know, you can. You know. You can still do things in this city that I think provide really great opportunities. We have a lot of great culture things. Like the Morris alone is always rated a top 50 theater in the United States. Beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. You know, yep. we have, like you said, the South Bend Cubs is always is rated the top, you know, yep. top one or top two, you know, minor league teams in the country. Uh -huh. So we have really, and, you know, if you're really big into academics, you have one of the premier academic institutions in the country, Notre Dame here. We have resources here. In that same article, the South Bend Survived article, Joe compared other Rust Belt cities roughly the same size as South Bend from at the time our population started to shrink. And it turns out we are in much better shape than the majority of them. We talk about that next. And it showed out in the stats too. One thing in that article I talked about is like, there are a few cities to, that looked like us in 1960. Yeah, you did. That you did, did a better nice than comparison. Us. Like yes. Fort Wayne and Grand Rapids are probably the two yeah. I called out. I think that like, yeah, they figured stuff out yeah. that we didn't. But there are so many that looked yeah. really similar to us in 1960 that are in way worse shape. Like Flint, Youngstown, Gary, Flint, Youngstown, you know, Canton. Oh, even Evansville has seen more decline than us. Uh -huh. So it could be a way worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like Gary yep. is obviously, you know, the, the poster child of that. Mm. And like Gary, mm. again, lost 7,000 people last decade while we were growing. That's just So crazy. like Youngstown lost thousands of people last decade while we were growing. So it, you can point to very clear examples of like these two cities were on the same trajectory and South yeah. Bend was able to pull out. Yep. And now, granted, again, nothing's perfect. Nope. Nothing's great. We still have issues with crime. We still have issues with disinvestment, but it could be so much worse. Oh, it could be horrible. When I met with uh, former South Bend Mayor Roger Parent and also read his book about leadership called Getting Things Done, I learned a very powerful quote from Father Ted Hesper. We talk about that quote next and how important it is for city leaders to heed the advice of Father Ted. I do want to talk about city investment when you when you talked about the South Bend survived. When I met with Mayor Parent down here, mm -hmm. he and in his book also he mentioned a quote from um, Father Ted Hesburgh is, mm. you know, damned if you're do if you're damned if you're do or if you're damned if you don't then do. Yeah. And imagine if our city leaders would have said 
would have listened to the naysayers when yeah. the East race came up or when building of Kovaleski Stadium yeah. came up. All of these things. Imagine if they would have said no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's And even just economically, we've gotten some stuff right. Yeah. Like the city has exploded on the northwest side in warehouses. With the shipping and yeah, warehousing. the shipping and like those aren't the best jobs ever, but they're not bad jobs either. They're and jobs. they're jobs yep. on the west side of the city. Uh-huh. And if you look at, I think I have an aerial in one of the articles, like yeah, from 1980 to today, and it's like okay, here's 30 huge, giant buildings, and some of them yeah. are factories uh-huh. that ha- that support like 3,000, 4,000 people working. Yep. So some of you know, has the city made mistakes? Of course. Oh, damn. Like which one has it? Like yeah, it, of course. Every, the city's ran and the city's made up of fallible people who yep. are going to make mistakes. But you have to try. Mm-hmm. You have to try. Yeah, imagine the East Side or East Bank today without these race. Could you, it, 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 I, I hesitate to think of that yeah. because it would be awful. You know, and like even just recently, like imagine how, imagine life without Howard Park. Yeah. Like it's every day I go home and it is the most diverse group of people. Yep. It is not just, you know, suburbanites, nope. not just nope. east side of suburb. It is a diverse group of people enjoying the park. Mm-hmm. It, imagine if we hadn't done because I, I remember going to Howard Park, even just my my daughter was like one. So it had to have been only like right before the major renovation. Okay. Yeah. And we walked down there. And it was empty yeah. on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And like the slide was like rusted out. Uh-huh. You know, it was parking lot, big there was a giant parking lot. And yeah. like no one is there. You go any Saturday in the summer now and there's a thousand people there literally. <laughs> Get through there. Like <laughs> in just five years. And imagine if at the time when then, you know, I guarantee you, if I pull up old articles from even that time, oh, yeah, or somebody's going to complain yeah. about spending X amount of millions on doing yeah. that. But look what that has sparked. You drive up and down Jefferson Boulevard. You have people eating in the restaurant in yeah. Howard Park. They're crossing the street. They're walking up and down. Oh, yeah. It's just you got it's dogs, beautiful. People walking their dogs. Everywhere. To think Joe's More People series started during COVID. It's just a side project. Diving into old Tribune articles and trying to wrap his head around the history of our city's population. And what came about it is what is now nine different articles, including two more that he wrote after the initial series, recapping the 2020 census, in which we grew, thank you very much. Next, we talk about how the More People article series has morphed into a resource for Notre Dame, the city, and beyond. Notre Dame students read it for their, like, I've met with, like, I never least, even thought of that. I've met with five or six Notre Dame students who have written it on their dissertation. Like, you know, like, and it's, I've got a friend, um, Marty Meckenberg, who, who works in the city. Okay. Um, he, he gives it to AmeriCorps volunteers who okay. come in who aren't familiar with the city at all. Uh-huh. He gives it to them to look at, to say, like, this is a good, like, preview of South Bend, like a little taste, yes. you know, before you just jump right into some of these neighborhoods. Correct. So it's Dude, it's really kind of taken on a life of its own. I, I wouldn't have ever even thought of that either. I yeah. mean, like you're literally universities here and it is, it's a nice foundational piece of how we've gotten to be where we're at now. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Round the Bend Now and Then. Thank you, Joe, for coming on and sharing the background and information from your More People series. And again, folks, you will not find a more comprehensive, understandable, descriptive account of our city's population shifts than this. And his More People series is more than just talk about the census. It is our history. 
So Joe, I thank you for your endless hours working on this, as it is crucial that we understand where we have been so that we can move forward. Join us again next time and learn more about South Bend and Mishawaka's Now and Then.